welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and this is episode 43. Keeping with the theme of infertility, which is what season three is all about, we are going to talk to Kristen Hodgden today, who is the founder of The Fertility Tribe, which is a free infertility support community, giving a voice to every unique path to parenthood. Um, Finding your own community, finding your people is so important when going through infertility. This is something I'm so passionate about. Before I went to my first Resolve support group back in December 2019, I was trying to find solace in talking to my non-infertile friends um, about my journey, and they just couldn't relate. I could feel this sense of discomfort from them. They wanted to be there for me, but their knowledge and experience only went so far. It wasn't until I started connecting with people online and in my home group, Resolve Meeting, that I heard my story, got advice on good questions to ask, and even found my doctor that way. So today we are going to talk to Kristen about why it's so important to find your tribe, find your fellow warriors, and connect with them. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Me, Myself, and Millie on Apple Podcasts. If you are a super fan and you have a spare 30 seconds, please write us a review. Your words carry so much weight, so, so, so much weight, guys. And it also just warms the cockles of my heart to hear how the show is impacting you. So hop on to Apple Podcasts today and give us five stars. Thanks, guys. Welcome, Kristen. How the hell are you? Hi, Millie. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, um, let's start with a little bit of background about yourself and your fertility story. Yeah. So um, I have never had a normal period in my life. (laughs) Um, And I knew that when I, from when I was a teenager, but I was never like formally diagnosed with anything. I just got put on birth control and I was on birth control for like 11 years, I think. And then when my husband and I got married, I went off the pill kind of thinking, I'll just get it out of my system because it's been in there for so long (laughs) and regulate my cycle. And then we'll talk about starting to try uh, well, what ended up happening was that I never got my period back. Um, and it was a couple of months of no cycle before I went to my regular OBGYN. And she said, give it a little bit more time. Still never got it. Um, so I would say it was about five months post going off the pill where I still hadn't gotten my period. And so she sent me for some an ultrasound and I got formally diagnosed with PCOS. Um, my story is a little bit unique in that 
we were then referred immediately to the fertility clinic because if you don't ovulate, you can't get pregnant. Like who knew, right? <laughs> um, Did I they think, ever like try to give you Clomid or Letrozole? Yeah. So the majority of my story is actually like basically a year of of being on the devil's drug of Clomid and doing IUIs and the having, devil's drug. I oh always my call God. it that because. I, this might be controversial, but I, I say I would take IVF any day over Clomid. Like it made me a raging lunatic. And I also got severe cystic acne from, I think it was a combination of going off the pill after so long. And my hormones just like completely went haywire. Um, Cause I think the birth control pill like masks PCOS and, so it was a combination of going off the pill and then the Clomid and just, it was like a cocktail that is made of skin nightmares because <laughs> I was like a mess. And so between being on Clomid and doing failed cycle after failed cycle and my ovaries were very stubborn, it was either like I under-responded or I over-responded and it was just a nightmare. And I think it's interesting because IUIs and Clomid are not talked about a lot. I think a lot of the women in the infertility community are doing IVF or about to start IVF. Um, and for me, like the majority of my, of my story was failure with regular ovulation drugs and IUIs. And I think the biggest frustration I had with it was that it was so much work, constant monitoring, being on these drugs that altered your hormones for then what a 20 something percent success rate. Oh, I know those IUI success rates are just like devastating. And the thing that frustrated me so much was that no one even told me that IVF was an option. Not that I didn't know it was, but I was under 30 at the time. I was healthy besides my ovulation issue. So the doctors just kept telling me, oh, you're going to be fine. And that was frustrating because you know, they kept pr over promising and under delivering. I, they, I just kept being kind of pacified through the whole situation. And so every time a cycle failed, I was absolutely devastated because I was not only sad, but I was also kind of shocked because my doctors just kept saying that it was going to work for me, which I don't really think is always the case, especially being part of the infertility community for so long. Um, you know, cycles don't work and you can be 28 and, or 40 and, you know, you're, everybody's different. And I really resent my first fertility doctor for, for kind of just continuing to shoo my concerns aside. And finally, I just was at my wits end uh, after several failed Clomid IUI cycles. I had a Femera cycle that my body just didn't respond to Femera at all. And then they put me on injectables and I over responded. 
And then the cycle almost got canceled, but then it didn't. It was like a almost two month long cycle from hell. It was awful. And I just was at my wits end because every time I would go into for monitoring, it would be okay, next time, next time, next time. Like it just. Do you think that they sort of underplayed the situation because because of your age? Absolutely. I think they saw me as a, I think I was 20, I think I was 28 when I started and, you know, I'm in pretty good shape. Like I don't have the telltale PCOS outward symptoms. Um, I, I didn't have um, insulin resistance, which is something else that can be related to PCOS. Um, you know, outwardly, I guess I looked like an easy case. And granted, in my doctor's defense, maybe she sees people like me who look like me all the time and are my age that get pregnant right away. But that just wasn't the case for me. And so um, I ended up switching doctors. (laughs) Um, And I realized at that point that sometimes switching doctors is just the best thing you could possibly do for yourself on your journey because... 100%. Yeah. Well, for me, I live in Long Island, New York, and fertility doctors are very high in demand and and I'm not a patient person. So I just really wanted to get in when, when they told me that I needed to go to the fertility clinic. I was like, okay, I'll take the first appointment you have. And I didn't really look at reviews or look at anything that I probably should have researched. And my doctor just didn't fit her bedside manner just didn't fit with my personality. I kind of need someone to make me feel better and like, give me a hug. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even Mm -hmm. though she Mm -hmm. was telling me I was going to be fine and get pregnant. She was not warm. She wasn't, didn't have a lot of patience for all my questions. And then my, a year later, almost when I finally switched doctors, I said to myself, this is what it should be like. Um, and I had, but I had to basically beg to start IVF and no one looked into whether I had insurance coverage. I had insurance coverage for IVF all along. I could have done IVF from the, after my first failed cycle and saved myself possibly a lot of, you know, heartbreak, but I ended up having to say, let's just cut to the chase. Can we do IVF? if it'll give me a better chance. I just wanted the success rate. I know IVF doesn't work for everyone, but I just wanted a higher success rate, a higher chance that all the work I was going to put in to it was going to amount to more than a 20% chance per month. Totally. And I think I'm just going to call out right now. I hear some alarms in the background, which is hilarious, but I'm just, I'm just wanting to tell the listeners you're not here. You are hearing an alarm and it is coming (laughs) from the recording. You are not in danger. (laughs) You are not in danger. My house isn't that big. So I feel like we would have heard them wherever in whatever room I was in. Um, Sorry about that. No problem. Keep going. Where was I? Um, you switched to the third fertility doctor. No, this sounds. was just the second. This was oh, just this the, was second the second. Doctor. So okay. the first one was all along, basically. And then right when I was at my wit's end, I switched doctors and begged them to let me start IVF. And it turned out I had fertility coverage all along. 
and um, didn't have any sort of, because some insurance co- companies, if in order to cover IVF, you need to do X amount of IUIs. And that wasn't even the case for mine, which I'm very lucky, um, I know, to have coverage. So, so yeah, I, I did IVF and I ended up getting really great results from my retrieval, um, although I did go into ovarian hyperstimulation. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it was just my case, but since I didn't ovulate ever in my life, basically, <laughs> I had a lot of eggs. You had you were storing those up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I got 45 eggs from my IVF cycle. Wow. Yeah. And then and then another thing that I had no idea about was the drop-off rate after that like zero idea. I just felt like my entire journey was filled with surprises. And that's really why I started the fertility tribe because I just didn't want anyone to go into it blind like I did. Um, so and yeah, I got- you talk a little bit about your OHSS. Did you like, what was the recovery after that? Because I too had OHSS, just a m- very mild, but, um, my doctor gave me, she was very like proactive about the painkillers that I was taking after the retrieval. So I did not, I was not in any pain at all, but tell me what your experience was like. I, because I, I, because they retrieved so many eggs, uh, I was just really bloated. And then they, they were very, very strict with me with the post-retrieval regimen. Like I had to, I think it was minimal liquids, like under a certain amount a day and, and then low salt intake, which is interesting because I've heard the complete opposite from some people, but I followed it to a T because I knew how I felt in that moment and I I didn't want it to get worse. So I think the worst part for me was the mental aspect. I was really, I had my heart set on doing a fresh transfer and with the OHSS, they were very adamant about, no, your body needs to heal. We need to freeze all and do a frozen. And at that point, like I had just been, through it had been over a year and I just I thought IVF was going to be the magic wand that made everything better and go faster and I thought the retrieval was the hard part and then it's like okay now you have to wait another say six weeks or so to have a transfer which is not a big deal time-wise I guess thinking about it now but when you're in the wait like every extra month you have to indoor seems like a lifetime. So I was very disappointed about that and they wouldn't budge on it. They said that if I had gotten pregnant while experiencing any sort of OHSS, it would have been a very like a high risk pregnancy where I would have been extremely ill, which in hindsight, I was very sick during my first trimester when I did finally get pregnant. So I can't imagine also having (laughs) OHSS on top of it. Totally. Well, you kind of touched upon this. Tell us why you started the Fertility Tribe. Like, what's what's the genesis behind the group? So I sort of, I mean, first and foremost, on when I was going through infertility, I had no friends 
that had been through it, no family members that had been through it. Um, I just felt like no one really understood what I was going through. There, My clinic didn't offer any support groups. I didn't see a therapist, which until the tail end, just I felt a complete lack of support. I felt like no one was talking about it. No one even makes eye contact in the waiting room at the fertility clinic which I'm the kind of person where I want to smile at everyone and give them whole high fives. Like I don't, (laughs) um, but it just is an unspoken rule, I guess. So to me, there was just a space that I needed to fill. And I, my background is in publishing and I love writing. And um, so one day I just started a blog and started writing down aspects of my story and, um, you know, started my Instagram page and, kind of joined the infertility community and it kind of grew from there. And a little over a year ago, I sort of rebranded and revamped my website and, and started sharing other people's stories. And I realized that sharing stories is so powerful because that is what makes people know that they're not alone. And you want to read about other people that are going through similar experiences. Or if you, if your doctor suggests donor eggs, you want to read success stories or not even success stories, just someone who also has been there and done that. And there was such a lack of that, in my opinion, um, online on, and on Instagram at that time. Now there's so many amazing voices in the community, but I just didn't have access to that when I was going through it. So So yeah, I really just set out to fill a void and to help other women and inspire them on their journeys. And it's turned into this amazing platform that is beyond what I could have imagined. Um, We just launched a free infertility support community, which has a downloadable app, which has been great. So, um, and lots of exciting events coming up. So um, I'm really having fun with it. Yeah, well dive into what types of things the group offers. Like, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, well, so on our blog, we have our, our articles and stories. And then on our Instagram page, we, we feature those and we feature other warriors in the community and their stories. Um, And then in the free community, we have, all different topics that you could possibly imagine that it's almost like a social platform on an app where you can talk about, you can tag your topic like IVF and then other people will comment and then I, or IUI or donor eggs or adoption or surrogacy. So it's a really amazing platform for people to connect. You can also add your diagnosis so you can find other women who share the same diagnosis. You can find members that live near you, which is a really cool feature. And then we just launched our exclusive tribe resources and offers group, which is a paid option where we have um, tons of discounts on everything from like fertility meds to um, prenatal vitamins for women, men. And then we also have resources from like yoga instructors registered dietitians, um, mental health professionals. Um, I'm hoping to get a few REs in there. So that's really 
like if you want to level up your infertility toolbox, I've been saying, and and kind of have that all in one place. And I'm really excited about it. I think I'm trying to make it into like, what would I, what did I wish I had when I was going through infertility? Um, and it's kind of a one-stop shop for all of that. Um, yeah, that sounds great. It, I mean, how is it different from other, how is the fertility tribe different from other fertility support systems? Hmm. I think, um, that's, that's a really good question. I mean, we all have, I always say there's room in this space for everyone. Um, I think that we all have our own unique voices, our own unique stories. I think the Fertility Tribe platform is all about sharing those stories. It's about um, our site is really, it's so amazing. You can search by surrogacy, adoption, donor eggs, and find someone who went through that. And I think the same goes for our Instagram page and our, and our infertility support community. It just bring, it makes you feel like you're not alone. Um, and that's why we call it the tribe. Cause you know, everyone needs their tribe. It takes a tribe to make a baby. And I don't know if that's necessarily what makes us different, but that's what I feel like we, we encompass. I mean, I will tell you what, something that I love about the fertility tribe is that you guys offer free services. You know, um, I think that's really, man, I mean, there's just like, once you dive into the world of fertility treatments and fertility services and support, Mm -hmm. there is, it is like, you know, the bills are just stacking up, Oh yeah, you know, and to find a service that offers free support is pretty great. Yeah. We try. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I would like to know for the silent sufferers out there, why do you think it's important to find a community to support one's fertility journey? I think it's so important. Um, you know, create a fake account if you don't want anyone to know that is close to you, but there are so many women on Instagram and in our even free community that don't show their picture or don't use their real name, but just being able to, even just if you're a lurker and aren't even being active, like to see that there's other people out there that have gone through it, are going through it to ask questions like, is this normal? I get, I see so much of that in our free community. Like I'm spotting, is that normal? You know, no one's going to have the magic answer, but just to know like almost reassurance, like a girlfriend to just reassure you and say, I had that too. It's normal. Um, or don't worry, call your doctor, just the moral support of it all. A hundred percent. What is something you wish you knew before you started the fertility tribe? I always say that I wish uh, before I went through infertility treatments, I wish I knew it was a marathon, not a sprint. Everyone from my OBGYN to my fertility doctor kept saying, you're an easy case. You're going to be fine. And it was not easy by any means. Took way longer than I thought. It's kind of like throw your plans out the window because even if you do have success, it's not going to be on your timeline. And I'm not even a super type A planner kind of person, but we all have our 
arbitrary deadlines we give ourselves. Like I want to be pregnant by Christmas. I want to be pregnant by my birthday. And that is a lot of what makes us crazy in the process because you, these milestones pass and you're still not pregnant. And I just wish I knew from the beginning that it's not a one size fits all. It's not a, you will be pregnant by sometimes people don't have success. It's, it's just throw your control out the window. basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And Kristen, you're somebody like me who likes to talk with their hands, but I'm (laughs) hearing you, I'm hearing you bump the table so much. And I just, it's okay. I just want to tell you, I just want you to be aware. It's something I should have reminded you about, oh, no. um, but I talk with my hands all the time. Um, I'm Italian from New York, so, you know. <laughs> what's the most shocking or frustrating part of starting such a unique group? I think the lack of education and access to care. We had a really great event yesterday um, about the new normal of fertility. And we talked about COVID and race and racial inequalities in the healthcare system. And, and, and we actually touched on just the fact that we don't learn about this stuff in school. Like we're told that every woman has a 28 day cycle and, that you have sex and you get pregnant and that is not the case. And it's, and one of the panelists who was a reproductive endocrinologist said, you know, it it pains me when I have a 40 year old patient who says, I wish I knew X, Y, Z. I wish I would have frozen my eggs. I would, you know, and just the lack of resources and, and, you know, income inequality, which equals access, less access to benefits and care. And so just all of that, that's, it's frustrating to witness that. And I think also to see women not having success, it's heartbreaking. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that there's definitely an accessibility issue too, not just to knowledge, but to the treatment. You know, mm-hmm. there is a big, a massive divide between that. Um, what's something that makes your blood boil about the online infertility community? Huh, that's a really good question. I this is my this is becoming my standard question now for everybody. <laughs> it's the blood boil question. So you can be as honest as you want. Okay. Um, something that has been bugging me recently, I said earlier that I think there's space in this community for everyone. And I've had the pleasure of collaborating with so many women in this space. And in my opinion, at the end of the day, our goal, whether we're making money on our platforms or not, is to help people. And it makes my blood boil when people aren't as supportive of one another and, you know, things get petty and, you know, I just, that makes my blood boil because at the end of the day, we're all here to help people. And yes, some people might have a business aspect to their platform, but that is why our free online infertility support community is free because 
we want to help people. <laughs> and you know, there are premium features, but um, but when people just don't seem genuine or or don't feel like there's space for everyone, it's like a, a raising a rising tide lifts all ships. And and I truly believe that and I'm rooting for every single person in this space to have success and whether it's business, whether it's pregnancy, you know, I just I really do have the purest of intentions in that regard. You're make you're reminding me of something that I recently heard, um, which, you know, you're not interviewing me, but here's my opinion. Um, <laughs> I uh, just recently somebody told me that if you give advice to somebody who's not seeking advice, it comes off as a criticism, mm-hmm. and so that is something that recently is making my blood boil too Mm -hmm. about, um, and it's not, it's not often, you know, it's not often that people are giving unsolicited advice, but sometimes you just need a space to vent and be heard. You don't really want to be told what you should have tried or what you need to do next or what you should have considered does that make sense at all? Absolutely. And I think that is one of the things that does make us different too within the fertility tribe is that we don't try to be a medical expert in any in any capacity. We people do message me asking medical questions and I always say talk to your provider. Um we're our goal is to share stories. Our goal is to bring people together and support on that level. But when it comes to anything medical, I don't even really provide a lot of medical information. I might say if, if I do, it's literally written by a reproductive endocrinologist. That's great. That's great. Um, any advice for people looking to make connections with other infertility warriors? I think something that's really a silver lining to the pandemic has been the ease at which we can do virtual events and virtual support groups. And I almost think it's a little bit less daunting to jump on a Zoom than it is to like drive back over to your fertility clinic at seven o'clock at at night when you were already there that morning. and not that people are hiding behind their computers, but it's just a little bit easier and convenient, honestly, because how many appointments do you have in a week when you're going through infertility? That was always my biggest frustration. I would on Mondays I would be like, oh my gosh, I have so many appointments. <laughs> like it would stress me out. So so yeah, I think I think following different platforms on Instagram and attending events and taking advantage of resources that are free or even investing a little bit of money into paid platforms or just therapy. Like I think therapy is so important too, to kind of know that you're not crazy. (laughs) Absolutely. And um, to kind of wrap up here, you, you, you are on the other side I mean, mm-hmm. quotes, other side of infertility. And you gave birth to two babies. Are they twins? No. Yes. 
They're yeah. twins. Okay. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about what it's like being a mom after infertility. So I always, always say that the scars of infertility never fade, no matter what, whether you're pregnant, a mom. And I thought they would. Like, I think you think that it's going to be a positive pregnancy test is going to be the magic pill that makes your infertility go away. And it's not as hard as that is to swallow. Um, when, because you're, you're terrified. When I got my positive test, I did not believe it was real. I, I almost felt like, a in disbelief. B, I think being a part of the infertility community too, you're you're kind of thinking what could go wrong because you know the statistics. You know you've seen so many people get have chemical pregnancies or early miscarriages or you know, so you just you kind of can't accept it at first. And I was also really sick my first trimester, which didn't help my mental boost or boost my mental state. And then I also didn't want to tell anyone, which kind of made it feel less real because I think like the, the, when I hit 12 weeks and I actually told, put it on Facebook, it wasn't necessarily because I, it was almost more for me than to let everyone else know because it just made it real for me. I think Uh, I did the NIPT blood test, which is a genetic test that, and so once everything came back normal and I found out the genders, it just felt more real. And that's when I posted on Facebook because I didn't do genetic testing of my embryos. And that's the second uh, part of this answer is that now I feel that the door is almost still open in a way because I have nine embryos left, which I'm very lucky to have but they're not genetically tested and my, my kids are almost two. And now it's, I actually have a piece on my blog about how I think about my frozen embryos every day because we're kind of, do we pay the money to test them to see what we're even working with? Do we take the chance and risk having a miscarriage while we have two kids at home? You know, it's, it's, the door is not closed and and I don't think it ever will be because eventually you have to make the decision to destroy or donate. It's just there's so many factors that women who don't go through infertility don't have to think about. And I just didn't foresee any of that. I also wouldn't have twins if I didn't implant two embryos and um there's just a like a big trickle down effect. I had a really high risk pregnancy because I had twins. I hemorrhaged post birth. Like I always say nothing on my journey to motherhood was easy. Like it wasn't like I got pregnant and it was sunshine and rainbows. It was a really difficult pregnancy. I was on the, in the hospital for almost a month on bed rest. So, you know, I count myself very lucky, but when I thought it would go away and it kind of just is still in my mind all the time. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, how can people follow you and get involved in the Fertility Tribe? Yeah, so um, we're the Fertility Tribe on Instagram. And then our site is www.thefertilitydrive.com 
tribe.com and slash community is where you can find all the information about our community and the link to join. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Kristen, for coming on the show today. Thank you, Millie. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, we'll be in touch. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. 